The Real Estate Sessions podcast is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising for real estate brilliantly simple. Promote your brands, promote your listings, learn more at adworks.com. That's A-D-W-E-R-X.com, adworks.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. So I've been trying to get today's guest on the show for a while now. I've She spoke out here at Phoenix and I had a connection of mine at the Arizona Association of Realtors drop the podcast name to her. And then I, I bumped into her at NAR with a couple of more friends from Phoenix and was able to say hi. And and finally, I think my perseverance has paid off as, as today, Lee Brown, author of Outrageous Authenticity, joins us today on the Real Estate Sessions. Now, there are way too many accolades to, to, to run through here, but let me let me give a, a couple of the highlights for Lee. She has received nearly every award REMAX offers, including their Hall of Fame award. She's the president-elect of CRS. She's in the RPAC Hall of Fame, uh, broker owner of REMAX Executive and the founder of No Fluff Training one of the most popular speakers on the real estate circuit. Lee, thank you so much and welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure that you chased me around this much to go on your podcast. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I do what I'm I got. very honored. <laughs> so, Lee, you were, uh, you were born and raised in the Charlotte area. You're a Southern girl and you're very proud of that. And I always like to find out from our guests, what are some of the common misconceptions about where you grew up? So for you, it's maybe what, a guy like me from the West Coast or a Northerner, what are some of those common misconceptions about growing up in the South? Well, it's kind of the opposite of what I assume about California people. See, I assume all of y'all are liberal and don't shave your legs and you, you know, want to keep to yourselves. And you probably assume that I'm a lifelong gun-toting Republican who's very backwards in the ways of the world. So, you know, not exactly how it plays out probably for your people or for mine, because I've met like two Republicans from California. They're both real nice. Um, so I can't just color everybody the same, but I think in my part of the country, it's my accent that colors me more than where I'm from, because if you didn't know it yet, Bill, the only people in the world you can make fun of anymore are Southerners. And so you think about any other group, if you tell a joke you're politically incorrect and you are evil and must be wiped out from society, but you can poke fun at Duck Dynasty and Honey Boo Boo and somebody with a southern accent and call us backwards and redneck all you want. And I guess because we are not a very um, gathered up group of people, we, we, have, we put up with it. But that's all right because, you know, even though some people will deduct IQ points when they hear me talk, there are others that are enamored of an accent, so they listen to me when they won't listen to other people. So you can't assume that I'm stupid because I have an accent. You can't assume that I'm married to my cousin because I actually married a Yankee. He was the only one I ever dated, and I married him. So it's provided, you know, cross-cultural opportunities for our kids. Um, I don't live in a trailer house. I sell them. I am not too proud to sell a trailer house. So I live in one. Uh, my parents aren't cousins. My grandparents were, but that's a different discussion altogether. And that's kind of deep in the family tree. And that's you know, one of those things. But sure. And you probably assume that I'm in a red state. North Carolina is actually a purple state, which is really interesting to see how political trends are moving. Because I'm a big politics geek, and I love observing how the trends work. Because I'm a you know, public and Republican. I fall in the middle. So 
I don't really know that I fit anybody's stereotype of anything because uh, I'm pretty much a unique individual. Well, I, I tell you what, after watching many of your videos, I've seen you speak three or four times now. Uh, I, I know that. I just want to make sure the rest of our audience does. That's great. Now, you you, <laughs> you went to Carolina, correct, for for school. So I actually I'm, started at Florida State. I went there for the music school and for a football team, and then I transferred to Carolina because I was homesick, so I finished my business degree there. And now I have a basketball team. They worked out really well from the sporting angle. I was going to say, so you're you're more of a Dean Smith person than a Coach K fan? Oh, Coach <laughs> K, you know, he develops back problems when his team loses. And, you know, um, I love Dean Smith. And as much as I love Roy Williams, it is time for him to retire. We need some fresh blood. That's a different soapbox. But oh, when I was at Carolina, I had to pay for school by waiting tables because when I transferred from Florida State to Carolina, I lost all my scholarships because I had a full ride at Florida State. And so because I had given up the money, my mom and daddy said, well, it works. And so I waited tables. And where I waited tables was a sports restaurant in Durham where Coach K used to bring the basketball team all the time. So I know lots of dark, dirty secrets about Duke basketball. And I'm glad to tell them to any uh, pro-Carolina person. Okay. So I, I shouldn't tell you that I have a piece of the floor from the 1993 NCAA championship that Duke won uh, because I, I'm a big Duke guy because you had to pick somebody from – I was born in San Diego – for some reason, I chose, I chose Duke. And, uh, That's the University of New Jersey in Durham. We know they're not Southern, so they don't really count as part of our people anyway. <laughs> Got it. So now, it's funny you mention the waiting table side of things because I, this is my – you're the 31st guest I've had on the podcast. And I would say in the real estate space, I'm going to call it about a quarter, maybe closer to a third, have that in their background somewhere. And I think it's that. Yeah. Have you noticed that too? I well, love that. I think part of it's because of the relationships you build and the way you, you, you have to learn how to talk to people and service them and take care of their needs. Does it, that has to translate into what you do today, right? Well, and you can't be afraid to work hard because you won't make any money waiting tables if you're lazy. And the same thing in real estate. A lot of these agents are out there looking for a silver bullet, some magical technology or some special coach that's going to get them 100 listings without having to work for it. Right. But it's just like waiting tables. You have to hustle every single minute. And the thing I like about the analogy with waiting tables is that when you are on the floor in front of your customers, you have to be on no matter what they're doing and whether they're misbehaving or not because other tables are watching you. And you can't let your guard down until you're back in the kitchen with your compadres and even then, you have to be quiet because they can hear through the door. So I think that the analogies even go beyond hard work. Yeah, I love that. So did you enter real estate right out of uh, right out of college, or did you do something else before that? Oh, no. My daddy had been in real estate since 1978, and of course, he wanted me to join him. But like most young people, I was too stubborn and hard-headed and said I was going to go make it on my own. And I went... I, of course, I had been waiting tables and bartending all during school. I just stayed as a bar manager for a while. And one of my regulars was a stockbroker, and she recruited me to go work at Prudential Securities. And so that's how I wound up working at Seaport Plaza in Manhattan, living the Manhattan life for a short time. But I hated being a stockbroker so much, like with flames coming out of my eyes, I hated it. And when I left stockbroken, I went and found a job at Husqvarna because their North American headquarters are in Charlotte. So I became the only female. Hang on, there goes the toilet. 
<laughs> we got. We should tell everybody that. Uh, we'll let everybody know that Lee's Lee's actually uh, in between flights, right, on the way to an, a speaking engagement. Correct. I am. I'm in the Sky Club, but I'm not in the bathroom personally, so I'm not that tacky no matter what you've heard. But anyway, what I was saying is I went to sell tank dolls, and I was the only woman on the sales force. So that was probably my my biggest formative job before I got into real estate. When I left that corporate environment, because I'm not cut out for a corporate life, my daddy, of course, was ready for me to come back and join the business, and I did. And 16 years later, that's what I'm still doing. The two of you together uh, opened up your own Remax franchise there in the Charlotte area, right? And, and there, there, there had to be pros and cons making that decision. How did that, how did that all come about? Well, when I joined him, he was already at Remax, and my dad was one of the first agents in Charlotte to have a team. He was always a, and he's not dead. I say was because he's retired now, so um, you don't have to send me a condolence card because I've got him for hopefully 20 or 30 more years, but. Right. Um, he was one of the first agents to start a team, and he was one of the first agents who had 100 transactions. He was always a forward thinker because he had always been a fan of the star power world, and he did Floyd Whitman before that, and he did uh, Danielle um, Kennedy before that. So he's always been somebody who chased the training, and then when he became um, really busy, it didn't ever make him any more organized. So when I joined this business, it was a natural fit because I'm an organized OCD type person. I had to clean him up. Well, after three years, we decided we needed to open our own company because we weren't getting the broker support that we needed. We didn't want to be in an environment where if you needed your broker, it took three days to get a call back because as we all know, at day three, what was a small spark is now a wildfire out of control. And we wanted to make an environment that was more accessible and more communicative and more fair amongst the agents. Because also in that office, some agents would buy outfits for the receptionist and they get extra leads. And we didn't want that kind of environment. So we struck out on our own. Lee, in your book, Outrageous Authenticity, uh, you talk about the real estate crash. And, you know, I, I started at the same time uh, in the business you did, 2000s, when I started with Chicago Title. So I, I love what, love it when you say it's easy to remember how many years you've been in the business. You just got to start on a double zero, right? And it's easy math. Exactly. Everybody right? should have it that easy. Yeah. But uh, the, that that when that really hit, um, it had a major effect on you and the way you looked at your business. Can you share that with us? So... The thing about real estate is that you're told at the very beginning that it's a people business and it's a suck-up business and you just smile and be cute and you'll manage things. But then when we hit those really hard years and the phones cut off, and I think all of us know that at the end of 07, and for some people it was 08 before it happened, when the phone stopped ringing, it wasn't a day that it stopped ringing. It stopped ringing altogether. And then people would call. And prices were falling. And when you're counseling somebody about a listing when prices are falling, it is not the same happy-go-lucky, cheery conversation that it is right now when prices are rising. So I had to adapt fast to help people because if I had not adapted, I couldn't have helped people. And if you think about what happened in those down years, and I, I call them the dark years just because people have a negative biological reaction to the word recession so I don't call it a recession and I think all of my real estate colleagues should stop saying that too because people don't react well to that but during those dark years if somebody had to sell in 08 they were grateful in 09 that they sold and in 09 they were grateful that they got out before 10 rolled around 
And if you weren't having these really brutally honest, truthful conversations with your clients, they were losing money. So if you weren't on your game, they were getting punished for it. And it was, it's, it's just, it's hard to, to be the bearer of bad news. It's hard to be depressed every day because I think we were all depressed every day during that time. And people still needed your guidance. And the realtors that survived and thrived and had their businesses grow learned how to tell people the truth and get them out from under houses before it got worse. And I hope that those skills aren't lost because we are going to hit another downturn. My guess is 12 to 18 months from now, we're going to see another blip. And I don't know how long it'll last, but we, we can't lose those skills and that ability to ask questions and listen. Right. You, you uh, detail a story in the book. Uh, I just call it the Bank of America YouTube story, and I'm sure you've talked about it before, but can you tell us what happened there? And, and was that sort of an aha moment for you with the power of video? I wish I had known the power of video, and I wish I had gotten consistent with it sooner because that Bank of America video was just a rant. I was just mad, <laughs> and I couldn't think of any other way to get Bank of America to respond to me because they didn't respond to phone calls and voicemails and you had one guy from the short sale department on the phone and a different guy in the foreclosure department. None of them had any power and none of them ran our market, even though Charlotte's the headquarters for Bank of America. So I made that video as a last ditch desperation moment to get somebody to help my clients out. And as it turns out, all these banks were already, even in 2011, they were employing people in little dark corners of the basement to monitor social media, and it wasn't but a few minutes before I had a response from a very high-up vice president up in the skyscraper in Charlotte wanting to find out what was going on so they could solve the problem. And you know, that thing wound up on CNBC. It wound up on the consumerist. It, it went places I didn't anticipate, and it really showed me a, a power that I wasn't tapping just by doing old-school methods. I, I don't find anyone that works video like you do. And and it looks to me like you take a very basic approach. I'm not trying to downplay what you do, but it's either open the laptop or grab the phone and start recording. I mean, is is it that simple? Is that, you know, is that really the process you're using to create all this great content? Yes, that is correct, because I have zero patience. And so because I have zero patience and zero attention span, if I had to actually call my videographer and set up an actual camera, it would never happen. And, you know, in talking to other realtors about all of their hang-ups and excuses for not doing video, it generally revolves around them not having time or not liking how they look or sound on video. So, you know, I, I know I have an accent. It's not going anywhere. And, in fact, it gets stronger the more I talk and the more I get on stages because, frankly, it's just part of my shtick now, so I can't let it go, so I have to focus on it. But with video, you can give yourself all the excuses in the world not to do it, but... Anybody who's not doing it is missing out on the single biggest tool they have for improving their customer service experience in real estate, for improving agents around them, for educating consumers, and for being human in a field where we're not often perceived as being human. And the, the other little catch on there is I don't think most realtors understand that when they're chasing SEO and keywords and they're looking at Google, YouTube is the number one search engine in the world now. It's not Google anymore. It's YouTube. The consumer is looking there first. So if you're the realtor who's not on YouTube, you're dead in the water. All because you're too vain to pick up the phone and too vain to pick up a camera or you're scared of how you sound or scared of how you look. And I've been saying 
for years, it usually it doesn't matter if you're fat and ugly and stupid and sound terrible and don't like what you look like, sound like the consumers will find out anyway. So if you go on to make a video, you pull the band-aid off and it makes it a lot more palatable when they finally meet you. <laughs> right. I, that's right. Good point. Uh, you, you are very active on social media. It, it even gets a chapter in the book, which I loved. So talk to us about some of the key mistakes you see other your fellow realtors making online. You just brought up one. They're not on YouTube. What are some other things they're doing wrong? Well, let's just not say that they're doing it wrong. Let's just say they're not doing it right yet because, as everybody knows, I tend to be an over flowing glass. I am overly positive. But I'd say the biggest mistake that I'm seeing made currently is realtors who think that social media is a place to advertise. Because it's not. It's not a place where your virtual tours and your broker opens and we need listings and we had closings and I've shown houses. Everything that you say that says house, 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 house tells the consumer that you're a machine. And social media is designed to be a place for building relationship and for engendering conversation and increasing intimacy with people that you can now get to know better than you did before. And when you just post virtual tours or I need listings, you're squandering the biggest opportunity that we've ever seen for marketing. I'll also say a big mistake that's made um, that could not, doesn't have to be made, is a lot of realtors will go to a, a class or take a webinar, and I don't know who's teaching it because I haven't watched it, but they'll tell them, hey, ask your fear when they bought their first house or ask them where the city they grew up in and so you know it's a class going on so all of a sudden 30 realtors said hey how old were you when you bought your first house and because they will follow me I get to see them all and what happens is some of their fear will answer oh, I was 25 I was 28 34 whatever the number is that's not building conversation all it does is you're asking a question you're getting a closed-ended answer and you're not doing anything to build rapport with consumers so you have to take with a grain of salt some of the social media training that's out there. And if it's not talking about relationship building and conversation building, you need to question what you're being told. I know for me that my, my gateway, I call it my gateway drug into the world of social media was Active Rain. I got invited onto Active Rain, I think in 2007 or 8. Um, and I've heard you mention it in other interviews. You were also, you were on there way early, if I remember. And um, do you do you continue some of those relationships that you made back then? I think I was in like the first 1,500 on there, so it was already in four digits when I got there. But the thing about Active Brain is that it was a family at the beginning, and that's what I miss the most about it is that it's not a family anymore. It's now just an advertising platform, and I don't even really call it a blogging platform because all you're doing is giving your content to the person who owns it now, and I'm not going to call him by name, but he's just looking to make money. With Active Rain, the people that I became real close to in the beginning, I mean, Brian Brady and Kenny Cook, Roberta uh, Murphy and uh, Kay Thomas, I mean, I, I can name off a dozen people that I adore that I got to know virtually in the days before everybody else did it. And in fact, we, when Truly a first came out, a bunch of us on Active Rain, uh, Crystal Craft was one of them. We put together a plan to game Truly and see if we could overcome their algorithms, and we did. And it was fun, and we didn't do it for any malicious purposes. We just wanted to see if we could do it, and we did. And it was just, it was good camaraderie, and it was good idea sharing and, and mind sharing and brainstorming. And it was really good. I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade any of those friendships. And 
In fact, I was out in California speaking, I don't know, probably five or six years ago, right when I was at the beginning of my speaking career, and went to dinner with all these active brain people. And it was like we had been family separated for too long and we were all back together again. It was fantastic. I'm going I'm to switch gears on you a little bit here. And um, you mentioned it earlier when, when we first got started, but you are really passionate about politics. And I, I know you served on uh, the NAR Housing Policy Committee for a few years. You even recently ran uh, for the uh, North Carolina State Legislature. So you're definitely involved. And I, I know our package is really important to you. I've heard you talk about it on stage. Tell, tell our audience why RPAC is so important for realtors. What I know is that once you understand what's happening politically and once you glimpse behind the curtain, you can't unsee that. And like most realtors, for the first part of my career, I was blinders on sell a house, sell a house, sell a house, sell a house. I don't care what's happening around me. I don't care what the politicians are doing. You know what? I'll just sell a house. I'll make more money. I'll, I'll do fine on my own. And my blinders were taken off a few years ago, and I realized that that's actually harming my industry when I just sit back and sell houses because that ability can be taken away from me by a legislative move far faster than it can be taken away from me by another agent in my market. So... I learned to invest in RPAC, and I'm a lifelong registered Republican, but right now I'm not real proud of that because they're not behaving very well as a group. I'm definitely a moderate. I'm in the middle, and I don't know that those of us that are in the middle have a political home right now because the fringes have overtaken both parties, which because that's happened, I really do think a lot of people have gotten more and more turned off from politics instead of getting engaged which is the wrong reaction to take. Because if you walk away from it, you're allowing the idiots and the assholes to run it. So you have to get involved if you don't want them to be in charge. And I've learned this. When I ran for house in 2014, it was primarily because as a parent, I'm completely aggravated with what's happening with public schools everywhere. This over-testing of kids is insane. The fact that you can't track kids, that's insane because you actually harm a kid that's slower to learn when you put them with a fast learner because it frustrates everybody and nobody goes anywhere. So I don't know why we're in a society that thinks you have to give everybody a trophy and that everybody's a genius because everybody's not a genius. But I wanted to fix the school, so you got to go to Raleigh to do that. And when I ran, I mean, I've always voted. I've always voted in primaries and the general because my family raised me to go vote. And I found out that the reason our general elections are such a hot mess is because most voters don't mess with the primary. They're just not engaged with it. And so by the time you get to the general election, you've got what everybody refers to as the lesser of two evils. You hold your nose and go vote. Well, you're going to have to decide some point to vote in the primary because that's where the decisions are made. And so if you want to know why we've gotten fringe control, because the fringes get out and vote in the primary because they care more than you do. And it bothers me that the moderates don't care enough to go fight. That that bothers me on so many levels. So I fight, Bill. This is why I fight. I fight because I know that if I can get other realtors to understand, if I can get them to understand what politics means to our industry and what it means to their business on the ground and what it means to their local community, what it means to their kids and to their parents and to the taxes they pay and to the streets that they have, once they get that glimpse behind the curtain like I did, 
they get involved and they get active. And the more of us that get active, the more policy change we can engender. Now, when I talk about RPAC, because most of the top producers that I talk to are completely unaware of it, they think it's the Republican Political Action Committee, and it's not. It's the Realtor Party. And I think that as a group, we actually need to rename it because R means something besides Realtor in political world. But when you're the Realtor Party, you're looking out for the interest of property rights, residential, commercial, um, investor. We're looking out for lots of things going on. It's not just candidates. We're looking for issues. Like right now, we're trying not to lose the 1031 tax-free exchange because it's under attack right now in both houses. If we lose the 1031 tax-free exchange, our commercial market will be devastated. Yep. So if you're a residential agent, if you have the nerve to say that doesn't matter to you because you don't do commercial, then I want to kick you in the throat and say, how dare you be so damn selfish? Get up off your dead ass and fight to keep this because the residential markets need a healthy commercial market and vice versa. So it's 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 so important, and I just I I don't like when people turn their back on what's important just because it's uncomfortable. And I think that's why people avoid politics. It's uncomfortable. They don't want to have an opinion. They don't want to have a stand. They don't want to get into a possible confrontation with anybody. But, and I say this in my book, the whole point is that you have to have an opinion, but you don't have to be a jackleg about it. And so I think anybody that knows me knows I love to talk politics, but I don't like to fight politics. I like to discuss and have dialogue and have conversations that maybe change my opinion or maybe change their opinion, but help us both grow. So I want to see us get back to that. So yeah, I get, I'm really passionate about this because every realtor who turns their back on politics is putting my livelihood at risk. And I don't appreciate that. Well, you kind of addressed a, a question I had there and about that having an opinion. You, you talk about, in the, about that in the book. It's a very important piece really of, of uh, outrageous authenticity is having that opinion and embracing criticism. That's not easy to do. How would you tell, say, a friend who said, you know, I, I don't know how to do that, Lee. How am I going to, I, I struggle with that. Is that something that can be learned or taught? Well, I think for some personality types, they're never going to do this because they're not going to be able to handle confrontation. Unfortunately, our society right now is one that will fight you over your opinion because and I think social media has actually made this worse, Bill, because you think about when a hot topic is on the plate. Let's use Donald Trump for an example because he's very polarizing. So if one of your friends says, I like Donald Trump, that's all they have to say to start a firestorm in their comment thread. They'll be getting unfriended by anybody who doesn't like Donald Trump. And the people who unfriend don't say, tell me why. They just get angry and unfriend, and so we're in this world where we're trying to surround ourselves with like-minded people instead of being surrounded by a really diverse group of ideas and people, and I love a diverse group of ideas and people. I don't want to be surrounded by people like me. So if you in life only want to be surrounded by people just like you, then my book is not for you, and in fact, I'm probably that speaker that ticks you off because I say things that hurt your feelings, and that's fine. Go ahead. Go away. But there's so many people out there who have opinions, they're just afraid to express them. You just have to figure out the way that you say things matters. And you don't have to start a firestorm by creating a conversation. So don't be hateful with what you say. And maybe start by expressing an opinion about something that's not as uh, quite 
a hot topic as our presidential election this year because this is a very, very angry year we're in right now. Right. So why not have an opinion about something else? I mean, do you really get annoyed by a business card from a real, and I do, business cards that say million dollar producer? I think that is such a disservice to the agent and it's a misnomer to the consumer. So why not have an opinion about that? Instead, people are like, well, that's fine. That's their choice. I don't want to get involved. It's not my business. But it is your business because a bad realtor makes us all look bad. And that's part of why I speak and I fight for better professionalism amongst realtors. I don't know that the 20,000 agents that are actually involved understand how much the million that are out there that do a poor job reflect badly on all of us. They think they're in their little bubble and it doesn't work that way. Lee, are, are you working on another book? I'm actually working on a series that's going to come off of my topic that I wrote, My Seven Deadly Sins of Real Estate. And I'm working on creating a version that's real estate specific, a mortgage specific version, a sales version. So I'm looking to fit it into the categories where I've got a pretty good understanding of these industries so that it's just a little bit more um, more specific and a little bit deeper in than Outrageous Authenticity was. Because being my first book and me trying to make it um, palatable, you know, 88 pages is an hour-long read, so it's realtor-friendly. I, I need to, I wish I had done more and gotten in deeper and meatier, so I'll do that with what's coming next. And the book I really need to write reflects on what's happening in society, but I'd have to take probably a six-month sabbatical from everything to get my thoughts together and put that on paper, and I don't really know how that's going to happen right now unless I, like, pause the world for six months or find a rabbit hole, like, in 112263, which is the best Stephen King book he's ever written. <laughs> so I need that rabbit hole so I can write that book, and then I'm not losing any time. Oh, that's a nice deep pull from Stephen King. That's great. <laughs> Tell, um, have you read that book, though? I, I, mean, I haven't. The TV show is not anywhere close that you have to read it. <gasps> Bill, you I have to read it. it. I, will read, I will. I promise. Tell real quick, you know, we're getting. I've had you a long time, and I know you got a flight to catch. Tell me, um, f first of all, tell me what's happened at NoFluffTraining.com. I was playing around on there, and I saw you talk about it. Your Seven Deadly Sins uh, talk at NAR, uh, really cool stuff. So kind of just give us a, you know, real quick hit on what's happening. Yeah, so that's just my my training self. So uh, I've got my my Lee Sells self, which is my being a realtor in Charlotte personage. And then my no plus training is the speaking and instructing side of me. And I also do some agent coaching, uh, not very much because of my time constraints. But it's a, um, I, I just want to, I want to make realtors better. And I want to give them the tools that can change their businesses if they'll listen to me. And my hope is that they're actually going to listen to me because I sell an average of 300 houses a year. So I kind of know what I'm talking about. And I'm not one of these traditional trainers who used to sell years and years and years ago. It hasn't been in front of a buyer or seller in a long time. So you won't see me switch to being full-time trainer simply because I don't want to lose that connectivity with the market and with my fellow realtors because I don't want to lose the ability to know where they are in their businesses because I don't know that I can really serve them that well if I haven't been in their shoes. Now, Lee, I'll, I'll wrap this up with the same question I ask, I've ask. i asked every guest since the first episode, and that's if you could give one piece of advice to a, either a new agent starting out or an agent trying to get out of a rut, and they're kind of stuck, what would that piece of advice be? So to the agent who's brand new, hire help, 
if I could go back in the business, I would hire somebody sooner to help take the non-revenue producing tasks off my plate. And when you can't afford them, that's when you hire them because you've got to find a way to make it work and invest in this business. You're not going to be a top producer and you're not going to crank it if you're a part-time trying to make it on the side while you work a full-time job person. And I know that hurts feelings, but if you're relying on the salary of a full-time job and you're doing real estate on the weekends, you're not committed. You're not going to succeed at this game until you're all in. So if you want to be all in, quit the full-time job and be full-time real estate. Learn how to live on commission. Learn how to run a budget. And to the agent who is in a rut and doesn't know what to do with themselves, they need to take a week off because that's usually a sign of burnout. And we are high, high, high level of victims of burnout in this industry because we work 24-7, 365, and we have demanded no different of a consumer. And you can't function well when you're exhausted. So take some time off and reboot. And time off, by the way, means no email, no social media, no telephone. Get somebody to cover it. There's somebody in your office that you trust. Hand them your phone and your computer and say, you handle all this stuff for a week. I'm going to pretend that I am in the woods of back Kentucky where I have no cell signal and regroup. And you'll come back into the business reengaged and excited again to talk to people because you can't be excited when you're exhausted. Lee, thanks so much for joining us today. If, if anyone listening wants to reach out to you, what's the easiest or the best way? If they want to reach out to me about training and coaching and speaking and all that stuff, then that's Lee at NoFluffTraining.com or just go to NoFluffTraining.com. I check all my emails. You can message me on Facebook or Twitter. I manage all of that myself. I don't hire any of it out. And if you're interested in sending a referral to Charlotte, North Carolina, We've got the best buyer and listing agents on the planet, and that's Lee at LeeSells.com. So it might take me 24 hours to respond to people, but the response you get will come from me. Lee, thanks again, and, and have safe travels. Uh, I think you're headed to Iowa today. Is that right? I am Iowa and then Minnesota and then back home. So I'm just going to the middle this time. It's easy peasy. All right. Thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. It's been an honor to be with you on your show. And as always, thank you for listening to our podcast and, and sharing it with your friends. That's how we continue to grow. If you're listening on iTunes, please go ahead and go rate the show and leave a review. It helps a lot with uh, us getting found. And until next week, when we bring another interview from an industry leader to you via the Real Estate Sessions podcast, go out there and keep writing your own story. You've been listening to the Real Estate Sessions with Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about the Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.